Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to shout out any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I am your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me on the show tonight from Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. It's amazing what winning the final two games of the series as opposed to losing the final two, even though it's a split, it does give a different perspective or perception about the series um, because I do feel like the vibes are a little bit better, although I do think they still missed an opportunity with that game one, first inning, three-run home run. The fact that they ended up splitting the series still feels at this stage of the season like they missed an opportunity, but um, hey, at least they split and they still are technically in the mix, although we can only keep saying that for so long and eventually father time catches you and you're no longer in the mix. Yeah, the Red Sox seesaw continues because 48 hours ago, people were pronouncing the season over, pronouncing the team dead. And now, you know, now we find ourselves scoreboard watching the Orioles uh, Blue Jays game again, just to see if we can creep a little bit closer in that wild card race. So, yeah, the seesaw Red Sox just keep doing their thing. Also joining us on the show tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you? Excellent, as always. And uh, it's funny you guys were talking about pronouncing them dead because the two guys on our YouTube crew, and if, if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, please go do it. Uh, Nick Face and uh, Brendan Gookin, actually, uh, after that game, too, they wore black suits and ties, um, you know, as if they were at a funeral and did the show wearing that attire. So uh, that was their spin on it. But the Red Sox uh, currently uh, three and a half games back of the wild card, third wild card team, I should say. Blue Jays are currently losing to the uh, Orioles right now, uh, five to three. And um, that's one of the teams the Red Sox will have to leapfrog, but the Mariners currently one of the hottest teams in baseball. They're, they are in possession of that third wild card team. So it's going to be a bit of a dogfight. We've got the Dodgers this weekend. We'll have that uh, prediction show for your PM commute today and, uh, and then three more against the Astros. And then you get kind of a cupcake series against the Royals after that, but I, I think... They were a bit pesky last time, so perhaps we shouldn't take that for granted. But um, it's getting tough, and we're not going to go over some of the other stuff. Kenley Jansen has a uh, hamstring problem. They think he'll be available as soon as Friday. I'm skeptical. I mean, even if even if he pitches, I mean, how how's he going to be? He he looked like he was in bad shape coming off that mound uh, the other night, and. Um, Jaron Duran uh, in a walking boot. So we'll get into some implications on that later on. But uh, it's very, it's just uncomfortable. Like this series uh, against the Astros has been like in a four game series, it's basically encapsulated the entire 2023 season. Not pretty at times. And, you know, but the, last couple of games kind of rewarding <laughs> it's just it's just been the theme of our year can't get comfortable i guess that's what i'm saying yeah I, i'm with you it's such a weird feeling because you you think about it they've technically won you know five of their last seven but it doesn't feel like they've won five of their last seven it feels like they're still just kind of treading water still just barely surviving but it is what it is those first two games in houston were brutal and you know our guys had the whole eulogy thing. I think a lot of Red Sox fans were feeling the very same way after uh, after Tuesday night, just depressed and just, uh, here we go. This is the downside. This is the unraveling. Then he got, you know, Wednesday's game, series finale. Obviously, you know, bats come alive, and here we go. We're, we're right back in it, sort of, right? It's, you know, 
but yeah, it's not comfortable. It's not going to be easy. Um, even with that cupcake Royals series mixed in, you could see them dropping one of those games for, you know, some stupid reason, bad defense, bad late inning pitching, something like that. Just there's always going to be something with this team. So it really is going to come down to the wire. Um, but Luckily, they did manage to salvage the last two games of this Houston series. So uh, we're going to give them a little bit of a pat on the back there. We're going to give them a top five list this week because you go into Houston, you beat the former champs, you you know, you beat one of the best teams in the American League. You deserve some credit for that. So we'll get into our midweek top five list. And Terry, you are leading us off. Who's in at number five? We are going to go with the only starting pitcher who had a decent start, and that's going to be Brian Bayo. And uh, before I get into him, because we're not, you know, covering the negative side, uh, James Paxton, uh, only four innings, six earned on that. Tanner Houck didn't look terrible, gave up three earned runs early, uh, lasted the five that he was expected to, five innings. Chris Sale, not terrible, especially considering this is one of his worst teams as well as one of his worst ballparks, but still not great. Uh, five innings, four earned. And then, of course, today, again, in our five spot, we've got Brian Bayo. Went seven innings, uh, just one earned run. Gave up nine hits, but despite that, I mean, they were scattered out, you know, and if anybody on this Red Sox pitching staff can pitch around traffic all year long. It's been Brian Bayo. Most of the time, the runners just never cross home plate. Walk three, those were kind of spread out as well. Uh, struck out four. I'd still love to see the strikeouts come up. Uh, he's got the velocity. I don't know why he's not missing more bats than he is, but he's still getting uh, pretty good contact outs and still, like I said, keeping control. I don't know why Alex Cora left him in there for seven innings over a hundred pitches. I just think that's poor load management for a guy who everybody's already concerned about. This is the most innings he's ever pitched. He's going to blow away his previous total, um, you know, which I think is 119 innings. I think he's past that now. So I know we uh, taxed the bullpen yesterday, but I, I probably, with a massive 10-run lead, I probably would have tried to get him out of there a little sooner. But good start for him in Houston against a tough lineup, and he will face them again uh, after this coming Dodgers series. That'll be at Fenway Park. Hopefully not a day game. Micah, thoughts on Bale? <laughs> Yeah, I'm with Terry. I probably would have had Bayo out of there after the sixth inning. Um, but when you think of load management, there really is no research to say if you take this, if this guy only increases by 30 innings from the previous year, he's going to be a okay. There just, there really is no evidence. But I am with you, Terry. It just seemed like an unnecessary push. Um, we might see more the effect of fatigue in the next start rather than, you know, an injury in his, in, in his future. But um, with Bayo, it, it was a solid start. It was exactly what the Red Sox needed, especially with the previous three starts not being uh, not having the ability to get deep into the game. The concern I have is if you look at his last two starts, he's thrown 13 innings. He's only given up two runs. You'll love that. But you look at the underlying numbers, 15 hits and four walks. So that's 19 base runners in 13 innings. And it, it goes to Terry's point that if he's able to mix in the ground balls, the double plays when he needs to, you don't see him getting into trouble in terms of a, a lot of runs in the game. But if he's not getting those, if those are ground balls through the hole rather than at somebody and it's not a double play, that's when you see the beginning happen and he's at four or five runs against a team that really should not put up four or five runs against him based on his ability. But that is a result of the lack of swinging and missing. If he gets a lot of swings and misses, you're not going to see the contact and, and, and the, the constant hits. So next start, he could have the same type of stat line and you see four runs on the board. And it's like, well, he did give up nine hits and he gave up, 
three walks. That's 12 base runners. That's a lot of action on the base paths. But it just it really puts a lot of pressure and there's a lot of emphasis on him to make pitches when he really needs to. Today he had such a big lead that there was no stress. But against a good offense, you know, he's going to face the same offense next week. Will he have a big lead and will he have the ability to get those ground balls when he really needs them? That's hard. And those Ks, I think Bayo, this is the the pitcher who he is currently. I think next year we would definitely want to see a little bit of a, a bump up in the, the strikeouts per nine and hopefully see the either the hits per nine come down a little bit or the walks, one of the two, just to bring the base runners, um, you know, the whip down, um, because that's really the concern. That there's just you, you have to the, your margin of error is so small with the amount of base runners that he's currently um, allowing. Yeah, I mean, if he turns into Marcus Stroman, that's not the worst thing. If he's not a high strikeout guy, but he gets a lot of ground balls, doesn't walk guys, and his hits per nine is pretty low, fine. That's okay. Not every pitcher needs to rack up 10, 11 strikeouts every start. You know, if, if he's able to keep runners off the base paths and not make too many mistakes and keep his ERA and his, his whip down, then that's fine. Um, but if the hits per nine don't go down and he's still kind of getting tattooed a little bit and he's not able to miss bats, then you start to get a little concerned. But he's still young. He's still developing. He's still kind of getting his feet wet. I think this stuff is good enough that the strikeouts could also improve. So I think next year you will see uh, a much improved Brian Bayo, which is exciting to think about. Um, as far as, you know, this game, the, the series finale, look, it, was it his prettiest start? No, but I actually didn't mind leaving him out there for the seven innings and the, the pitch count, although it was high because the bullpen was taxed in this series. The, the Paxton start, you know, Hauk only having so many innings that he could throw, um, you know, game three, Kenley has to come out. You've got to bring Pavetta in to pitch a little bit. Like they had to use the bullpen, I think a lot more than they wanted to. And without an off day before this Dodgers series, I think Alex Cora sort of said, I'm, I'm going to, you know, we've got a massive lead. Let's just ride with the kid a little bit longer. And if we can get him to seven, then that's fine. Then we can throw out whoever. Um, and luckily, you know, Chovera went in and, you know, was fine for two innings. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a disaster. And by that point, your lead was so big that even if he had given up four or five runs, you could have just let him out, left him out there, you know? So I think it was more Cora just planning for the days ahead, you know, the, the next six days where he still has six very important games coming up and he's got to keep that bullpen as rested as possible. So um, I sort of understood it from that standpoint, but not something I want to see a ton of, for the rest of this year, because I don't want Bayo getting overtaxed this early on. But for this game in this scenario, I didn't hate it. And you know what? He pitched well enough, hugely like that. It's kind of hard to screw that up. So at least he didn't do that. I, I mean, Schreiber didn't pitch the whole series. So I, it's just perplexing to me that he didn't try to get at least an inning out of him. And Yovera they're riding him like a rented mule. I mean, he's not going to be back. I mean, I don't think he'll be back next year and they certainly can, you know, fill his spot with someone, but real quick on Bayo bottom of the 30 gives up a lead off double right away to Jeremy Pena. No outs. Pena hits a double doesn't advance forward. Um, there was a walk later that inning, but Otherwise, got the three outs. Next inning, he gives up two singles. Yanier Diaz and Chaz McCormick are on first and second, no outs. Then he gets three consecutive flyouts. Bayo does. Go to the, let's see, the fifth inning. Uh, gave up a double again, Mauricio Dubon. Uh, and then actually, that he did end up scoring. So that was the one run. But other than that, I mean, he just. Another leadoff hit in the in the sixth inning, uh, John Singleton. He, he just has this knack in the seventh inning. Dubon hits a double. Lots of leadoff hits that just aren't crossing home plate. I don't know if this is who Bayo is, uh, and he's just never going to be phased by traffic on the bases, uh, but it's just crazy how he gets out of it. 
I remember Dice K, the one good year he had in, let's see, that was 2008. He had like 18 wins. <laughs> he did that all year long. Pitched around base runners is what it is. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez had a knack for that. So I don't know. We're seeing it with Bayo right now. Like a... Another pitcher that comes to mind, at least early on, was John Lester. I mean, Lester, I feel like, did it more via the walk, but Lester, it seemed like he was always pitching out of jams early on in his in his career, and then as he matured and he started to really figure out how to get big league hitters out, then th- that wasn't as much of a, a common problem for him. And I think that's the that's going to be the fun thing to watch with Bayo is just to see the maturity because the 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 progress that he has made from where he was last year at this point to now is insane. And if he can make another step like that or another jump like that, I mean, that would be, I can't even imagine the type of pitcher we'd be watching, but he's got to go out and do that. And now I feel like the margins are a little smaller for him to make, you know, quite a big jump. I don't think it's as easy. And just one last thing. Um, I saw a beat writer report this apparently after game two, uh, that you know that was a tough loss. Bayo said to Chris Sale, "It's up to us now to get us out of here," and uh, I, I just like the confidence. I, I like the, in a way, it's almost leadership. You know, he's going to the most one of the most veteran pitchers in the league, and saying, "It's you and me, man. Let's uh, let's try to salvage this series." So, I respect the confidence. Absolutely. And yeah, that sort of confidence and that swagger and the ability that he seemingly has to not be faced by base runners and to sort of get out of an inning like that is uh, pretty impressive for for a young kid like him. So obviously we hope he improves, you know, and cuts down on that. But for now, it's a good skill to have. Um, And some pitchers don't have that skill. uh, And that leads us to number four on our top five. Uh, We gave J.P. France the honor of being on the top five this week because J.P. France, I guess, decided to take his Rookie of the Year campaign and flush it straight down the toilet uh, in Thursday's game. He entered that game 9-4, and an ERA of 275, has undoubtedly been one of the best rookie pitchers in the American League this year. Um, He gives up 10 runs. On 11 hits, only lasts two and a third, just got absolutely slaughtered by the Red Sox in that game. And he left that game with a loss on his record. And now his ERA has jumped from 275 to 3.51. Um, just a complete 180 of the season he's been having. His only other bad start this year came all the way back in early May when he gave up six runs to the Cubs. Every other start since then has been three runs or less. He's been one of the most consistent, best pitchers on that Houston staff. And that's saying something because they've got some good pitchers there. Um, He's kind of come out of nowhere and just been a real stabilizing force for them. And this, he just did not have it this start. And I don't know if it was just that the Red Sox, you know, scouted him well, that, you know, they, they were seeing the ball well, or he just, I don't know, the early start maybe was out partying too much the night before. I don't know, but. They jumped all over him, completely slaughtered him. Um, You know, this Red Sox offense has caught a lot of flack this year for good reason, but when they put together games like this where you're seeing the bottom half of the order contributing the way they did, and then you get the top of the order, you get guys like Duvall going deep, it just it shows you that when they really are clicking, they can be like a really nasty offense. They can string together runs so quickly, and their ability to just – get on base and, you know, get the clutch hit they need or even the clutch sack fly that they need. Like, they can be a very good offense when it's all clicking. It just hasn't been like that consistently enough this season. But um, it, that was a fun game to watch uh, for anyone except Astros fans. It was just um, – it was an absolute slaughter. So thank you to J.P. France for just deciding to mail it in on that game. And, uh, Micah, y- your thoughts on France and – his sort of overall year leading up to this and now the start afterwards. I mean, I really don't have much more to add. I think you kind of nailed it there on the head. I think if you had to pick a pitcher for an outburst like this to happen, it would probably be France because 
he only strikes out 6.7 batters per nine. So he does kind of rely on contact. It's just if you've watched him or if you just even look at the box scores, he doesn't give up hard contact like this. And he wasn't walking the ballpark. He only walked two guys, but he gave up 11 hits. That is just, like you said, Jason, the, the game plan or whatever they saw in him, there was a clear game plan because you just don't see pitchers who are in a groove like he's been over the last two plus months give up that many hits in two, three innings. That just is, you don't see that very often. So I think, like you said, it, it, it almost drives you nuts with this team because not that I expect them to get 11 hits and score 10 plus runs, but they haven't done that in what feels like weeks, almost months. And they were routinely doing that at the beginning of the season. Those first six weeks, it felt like they were putting up 10 plus runs once or twice a week. And then it really just kind of stopped. And it, it just makes you want to pull your hair out when you go back to last week and Mackenzie Gore and Patrick Corbin gave up one run combined in 12 innings against this offense. And it's like, how do those guys, you know, they're not terrible pitchers, but they're not having the year that JP France is having. How do those guys make the Red Sox look like an offense that's ready to go one, two, three every inning? And then the Red Sox, the Red Sox face Houston and France and they just jump all over them. It's just that inconsistency. It, it just it's the it, it adds to the roller coaster that this team has been on all season long. I think when this offense is clicking, this team feels completely different. And you could say that about every team, but this offense has the ability, like you said, Jason, to be really, really good. And when they show those glimpses, I think it does make fans believe, hey, this team could could make some noise if they just get into the the playoffs. You know, who knows? Maybe you have a a three or four game series where you know Adam Duvall goes crazy and you get Devers going. Like it, it's possible, but the consistency it just it it hasn't been there. And there's no reason to believe that in the final five six weeks of the season that it's going to be there i think this was just a game where they had a good game plan and they jumped all over them and i mean it was fun to watch but um i just wish we could see a little bit more of this um a little more often <laughs> terry when i was looking at this start I thought, oh no, you know, it's it's a young pitcher who's having a good year, and th that's the type of guy we seem to struggle against, and probably going to be one of those games where we only put up two or three runs, and um, Bayo has looked okay, you know, he's been up and down the last five or six weeks, and um, so I, I just... I thought this was going to be an easy win. I, it was probably my most confident uh, pick in the, in the whole series, even that the Astros would win this game. I had the Astros winning uh, three out of four, but um, yeah. So, but looking at his numbers, a couple of things stand out. Yeah. He made his debut on May 6th, so he wasn't on the opening day roster. His first two starts were pretty good uh, against the Mariners and the White Sox. And then he got roughed up uh, for six runs in his third start. Two starts later against the Twins, uh, he wasn't terrible. He gave up four earned runs. Uh, and then after that, in 14, his next actually, excuse me, 13 starts, he was three earned runs or less. So fantastic year, um, you know, and like Bayo, he's not much of a, of a strikeout guy as well. Uh, he's only got a 6.7 strikeout per nine. That's pretty low. That's like, you know, you're it's almost not at the major league level. It's that low. So I don't know what the long term is. It's hard to not be an optimist when you're pitching for the Houston Astros. They're typically gonna, they're gonna turn your weaknesses into strengths and, you know, make you a very formidable pitcher. I mean, who thought Framber Valdez would be a Cy Young contender two or three years ago? 
Um, so they, they just have a knack for, um, you know, taking these guys from out of nowhere to top of the rotation type pitcher. So we'll see, but, um, certainly the Red Sox had a game plan and then they executed it and they kind of, you know, metaphorically executed him. He just got totally, uh, blitzed only lasting two and one third, uh, innings. So. I, in one of those innings, the whole order batted. All nine guys came up. So it's just just a terrible day. Yeah, an incredible uh, outing from the offense. But um, we've been talking about the inconsistency. Wouldn't be shocked if uh, Lance Lynn pitches a shutout you know, Friday night uh, <laughs> in that game. So it would just be like them to score 17 one game, zero the next. But we'll see. And we'll take this one for now, at least. Uh, number three on the list, Micah, who do we got? Coming in at number three, a guy that I don't know if he's been on our top five, it feels like in months, but is Alex Verdugo. Uh, finally, a series where he looked more like the player we saw in the first two months of the season, first half of the season. Um, but he was nine for 19 in the series and that's just from the leadoff spot and again maybe he just feels more comfortable in the leadoff spot there's no jaron duran stealing stealing his spot in the lineup but he definitely has turned a corner i think if you go back to his last 15 games he's hitting 310 with a 333 obp and a 517 slugging so clearly he's made the adjustment at the plate the power has been there a little bit more. Uh, he's got driving the ball on both sides. He hit the – what the heck do they call those boxes in left field, Jason? The Crawford boxes. Yeah, thank you. The Crawford boxes. He hit that, I think, twice this series, which is nice to see because if he can just ha- keep that same approach and that same type of swing, that's off the monster as well. So when he, he was doing that consistently in the first half of the season, and then we just really didn't see that for that – 30 game stretch or whatever it was where he was hitting under 200 almost. So really good to see Verdugo back to being himself. And at the very least, he is showing other ownership groups that and other other front offices that what we saw in July was not the player he is, that he can, you know, be a really good offensive player and it increases his trade value at the very least. Uh, maybe he helps this this team and this offense uh, really make a push in the final five weeks of the season. But uh, with how crowded the outfield is, and we'll talk about that a little later, uh, always good to to produce at this time of the year, and hopefully he can continue. And you have a nice trade chip at the very least going into the offseason. Terry? It's good to see... Uh, not only is he reestablishing himself as a you know a, a consistent hitter, but he's essentially reclaimed that leadoff spot as well. Now that Duran's going to be out for a little while, so um, and that that's where he was having a lot of success earlier in the year before you kind of had to give it to Duran. But uh, it's good to see uh, he had hits in three out of the four games. Uh, only struck out twice the whole series in 19 at bats. And that's kind of what he's been known for. He's a very elite, you know, guy at the plate in terms of plate discipline and not swinging at junk and putting the ball in play. So very much looking like he's back uh, to his old self. So, uh, we'll see. Another interesting note was, uh, I think it was in game two. Yeah, it was definitely game two. He got ejected for for jawing at the uh, home plate umpire. And I was trying to look up that umpire's name. I can't find it. I think his last name might be Hoberg or something like that. And he's one of the better umpires in the league. I heard Nesson say that he had one appearance uh, behind home plate in in a recent world series there was 129 pitches and he got them all correct so all the strikes were correct or whatever so um 
so he had a rare bad night anyway. I mean, the Turner got squeezed on a couple of them that were close. I shouldn't say squeezed, but it just it didn't go the Red Sox way. Let's put it that way. And um, Verdugo was chirping from the dugout and got rung up. And uh, apparently that's his first uh, career ejection. And in the batter's box, uh, to Verdugo's credit, it's one of the reasons I like him so much, even though I'm a huge proponent of trading him, ironically. But what makes him likable is is he he never fusses at the umpires. You know, he just... He's just calm the whole time, and if he and he doesn't strike out a ton anyway, but you you just never see him jawing at the umpire, and um, so the the it's just crazy that he he got rung up, but he came back uh, in game three, two for five, uh, drove in a run, and then today uh, first inning hit a hit a home run uh, to start the game, so kind of kicked off that seventeen run explosion, but. Good to see from Verdugo. We'll we'll take whatever he can give us while he's still here. Yeah, this felt like a vintage Alex Verdugo type of series. He was back hitting leadoff. He was back being a run producer, spraying the ball all over the field, even hitting for some power, and then you know letting his temper get the best of him and getting ejected in game two for no reason, um, and then calling the umpire a soft baby in the post game afterwards. So. It was just it was the classic Alex Verdugo experience where he had a great series offensively, really helped you win those final two games. But then game two, when you lose and he's, you know, part of the reason you lost him getting ejected, you go, really, man? Like, geez, it's just so it's it's always, you know, double edged sword with Alex Verdugo. Sometimes he can be frustrating, but uh, when he has a series like this and he produces like that, um, he shows you how good of a player he can be now. You know, we'll see what his future holds. I, I don't think anyone really knows, including him or the Red Sox at this point. But uh, at least for now, if this team is going to try to sneak into that wild card, keep Alex Verdugo in that leadoff spot and get as much out of him as he can. Real quick, Alex Cora also got rung up that game and ejected. And it was kind of funny because what started that was there was a... um it was one of the times Turner got kind of squeezed strike Turner struck out looking and the ball was in the upper outer part of the zone. And it, it was out of the zone. Like it wasn't touching the box at all, but it was a call that pitchers have been getting throughout the year. It just seems like that entire outer edge of the plate they they've been getting and uh, you know, not just the Red Sox or, or their opponents. It just seems like that's that's how it's it's going now. And then the very next inning, I forget who the batter was, but another pitch went up there. But at that time, it was further away. But Cora freaked out because he's like, "Well, Turner didn't get that call." And I heard he said "f you" at the top of his lungs. I and I went back and I replayed it, and just instantly tossed. And I think. Looking at the video, I, I'm sure Cora looked at it and probably felt a little stupid after because it was it was much further out of the zone. And I noticed um, in game three, while he was out giving out the cards, he was very buddy buddy, you know, with the umpires. So I think uh, he probably made his amends, <laughs> and wisely so. You know, you you want to. You don't want to be getting squeezed. You you want to still be getting some of those borderline calls. So uh, it was just interesting. That whole game was interesting. Then that umpire lost track of the force play. Uh, who was it that slid into home? It it was one of it might have been Kyle Tucker, but the umpire called him out, and the tag was never applied. And instant well not instantly but after 20 or 30 seconds he corrected himself and said no the runner is was safe because there was no force at home so uh just a bad night for uh an otherwise very good umpire yeah and kind of a weird series for Cora he was he was very chirpy in the series got into it with Justin Verlander a little bit so actually um, one other one last thing on this um Devers' defense has, has was bad in the first couple of games, and 
Cora told him going into game three, it might have been the morning of game three. Um, he said, he said, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here, but for as long as I'm here, you're, you're going to be my third baseman. And I just thought, why would he tell him? I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here. I, it's just, I don't think he's comfortable. And if he's not comfortable, I don't think Bloom's comfortable. So I, I don't think Bloom can fire him, essentially. So I think they're both in the same boat. Their fate will be the same. They're either both not coming back or they're both coming back. So just just something interesting to keep an eye on. Mike, any other thoughts? Yeah, just something on Cora. Um, it looks like he's like maybe coaching for his job or That's like he, he was thrown out three, two times in a three game stretch. And I don't think I've, we've ever seen that from Cora. Like he definitely is being aggressive and, and his emotions. He's not, he's usually, he keeps them pretty, pretty, um, you don't really know what he's thinking. Sometimes, you know, he's mad, but it doesn't, he's not showing it, but he's definitely wearing his emotions on his sleeve more. And, you know, it, I think you got to give him a lot of credit to the reason why this team, so many people keep burying this team after four or five games up oh, the death certificate of the Boston Red Sox on August 17th. And then they play decent for a couple games. And then back on August 22nd, the death certificates back out. And it's like, this team refuses to die. And I think Alex Cora is 100% behind that. I think he's just not letting this team give up. And I think the, the, the team is taking on the identity of its manager. And I, I think this has been one of Cora's best coaching jobs that he's done in Boston. Obviously, 2018 with the team he had was incredible. But I don't think he has that much on this roster. And he is getting every ounce of, of energy and fight that this team has. Well, I think the the defense kind of comes back to hurt him a little bit. I I think so. But you kind of touched on something that I I didn't quite articulate well enough. I when you're talking about the ejections and the fact he's always on edge lately, I think that's the vulnerability. And when he tells when he tells Rafi Devers, I don't know how long I'll be here, blah blah blah. I just feel like he's just you know, he's being transparent, uh, you know, in a way about his vulnerability. And it just seems like they don't really know where ownership is at with them, I think, is what it is. So, like I said, we'll we'll find out. Yeah, I think you used the right word, you know, early on when we started this, is that it's uncomfortable. And the reason it's uncomfortable is because it's coming from the top down. The GM is uncomfortable. The manager's uncomfortable. So the, the players naturally will be too. Um, and when Alex Cora is telling his superstar, hey, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here, but, you know, you're my third baseman. I mean, that's that's telling. And, you know, you know, Mikey, you said it. he's wearing his emotions on his sleeve. He's letting it all out there. He's like, yeah, I have no idea what what's going to happen after this year. I don't know if we'll make the playoffs or if we'll miss them. And then if we miss them, I don't know if I'm going to get canned the next day or – if I'm going to have to step down or whatever. Um, so it, it does, it feels very tenuous and it feels very uncomfortable. And um, I think that, you know, the, the players are, it's starting to rub off on them a little bit too. So it's, you know, it, the roller coaster just continues, you know, one, one really bad series or two um, could completely unravel this team. That's, that's how fragile it is right now. So, but for the moment, like we said, they're still alive and, they may be getting another young star in the making here. Number two on the top five. Terry, who do we got? That is going to be Willier Abreu. I, I don't know if I botched his first name or not. Um, but kind of came up out of nowhere. Uh, Jaron Duran going on the injured list with the toe contusion. Uh, is basically the impetus of why he was called up. He was the corresponding move. And the neat thing about it is we came off of a good series uh, against the Yankees. We swept them. And if you would have told me that 
there's going to be a player that makes a big impact here. I probably, my first guess would have been Justin Turner. And if you told me no, I would have said, okay, Rafi Devers. If you told me no there, I'd be like, all right, well, well, Tristan Casas is probably due for a really big series. He hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been spectacular in the last week and a half or so. But it ends up being a guy who's not even on the roster yet, uh, you know, as of the final out of the Yankees series. And it ended up being Abreu. And he ends up entering the game in right field when Verdugo got thrown out uh, of the dugout. So then, then he comes into the game, and uh, you know, I, I can't remember. I don't think it was his first at bat. His second at bat gets his first career hit, and um, you know, they took the ball into the dugout to you know authenticate it or whatever they do uh, when they give it to them. Gets another hit, and then uh, didn't do a lot in game uh, three of the series. Was zero for four, but. Uh, did drive in a run. And then, you know, his signature moment on the series hits a three, two or three run shot uh, early in uh, game four. That, it was a two run shot. And uh, that put the Red Sox up three to nothing. And he crushed it 431 feet out to right center. And he'd been showing power the whole series, you know. Even his other hits were just rifled into the outfield. So uh, his minor league numbers, he's hit like 20-plus home runs. I want to say it was 22. Probably should have had that up before I gave this take. But um, his minor league numbers, very uh, robust this year. I'm surprised, quite frankly, he didn't get called up uh, sooner than he did. But... Hitting 274 uh, at AAA Worcester with a 391 on base. So his on base is 117 points higher than his batting average. That's that's extremely robust. I mean, Tristan Costas has been hovering around 90 points above his batting average, and that's pretty good. Has an OPS of 929 down there at Worcester. And uh, it is 22 home runs that he's hit, 65 runs batted in. He's stolen eight bags, which isn't nothing, you know. I mean, is he gonna is he gonna be Jaron Duran out there? No, but I just I like what I'm seeing. I mean, he he looks like he has raw power. Kevin Millar was the color commentator all series and commented on how he doesn't really. There's not a lot of forward movement. Um, you know, with him in the batter's box, he just kind of loads it off of his back leg and just, just like I said, rifles it. So I don't know what the ceiling is of him. I mean, the, there hasn't been a ton of talk about him despite his good numbers. It seems like Rafaela has been getting all the glory, but suddenly, I mean, we're going to get a good look at him right now because like I said, Jaron Duran's going to miss, it looks like at least a few weeks, if not longer. I wouldn't even be shocked if it's through the rest of the season. They're being very coy about the MRI results. They're saying they're they're awaiting further testing, so that's not good. Um, but you look forward to 2024, and suddenly you've got a very young, cheap outfield. I mean, Duran's not going to be making much next year, probably right around a million um Abreu will be making the major league minimum which is 750,000 uh Sedan Rafaela will at some point make his debut um whether that's out of spring training maybe they'll hold him back a few weeks because they'll gain another year of service time that's really dirty and if if any team shouldn't do that it's probably the Red Sox because they've just got this bad image selfishly I, I mean I wouldn't mind if they did it but but you know they're terrible when it comes to paying players and, and manipulating service time. But yeah, so I mean, next year it just it's interesting. And as much love as we just gave to Verdugo, if Abreu establishes himself this year as a guy that can probably play every day next year, you gotta you gotta feel like Verdugo is not long for 
for the Boston Red Sox. And we were talking about this off air. I mean, if Justin Turner doesn't come back, you're probably going to be seeing Yoshida get a lot of time at DH. So you could have an outfield that has Sedan Rafaela, Willier Abreu, and Jaron Duran. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. So um, we'll see. But it was it was a fun series for him, and we'll see what he can do this weekend against the Dodgers. Like it. The word that I would use to describe Abreu in the batter's box is just comfortable. He didn't look overmatched at all. Um, and he, he his first game was against Furlander. Like, goodness gracious. <laughs> Talk about a, a, an introduction to the big leagues. But he doesn't flail at pitches or anything like that. He's on fastballs. He just looks like he's ready. Um, and, and Terry, you were speaking to his 391 OBP in, in uh, AAA. That was, a, that was due mainly to a 16% walk rate. So you're talking about a guy who has the ability to draw walks, is okay with taking pitches, uh, maybe close pitches, which is what you got to do in the big leagues. You can't chase. And he has power. That power and high OBP combination, if he can translate that to the big leagues, that's a really intriguing skill set. And if we're comparing players, you're going to have Alex Verdugo, who's making a hell of a lot more money compared to Abreu. And Verdugo doesn't really have the power and doesn't have nearly the OBP potential that Abreu has. And I think I would be very intrigued with Abreu in the outfield. But he definitely is earning playing time. And I like that Cora just put him in the lineup. He seems to be the hot hand. And at this point of the season, you have to play the hot hand. And I'm curious, is Alex Verdugo, even though Jaron Duran went on the uh, I wonder if Verdugo's like, if I don't if I don't turn it around, I, I'm not playing. <laughs> like we're at that point where it's you don't have, you can't afford to say, well, let's try to give this guy a couple games and figure it out. They have to win every game possible. And, you know, Duvall had a good series. Abreu's now swinging it well. You still have Yoshida. It, 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 he's adding his name to the conversation. Um, and one more thing about next year with the outfield we've had conversations about too many lefties. And I really wish Abreu was a righty because if he was, I think he'd be a lock for a spot in the outfield. But, Adding Abreu to the the mix of outfielders, I still think I'm, I would be really intrigued what Jaron Duran, his trade value would be. Because I think he has the absolute most value out of anyone in, in the outfield. And I'm not saying I would trade Duran because I really like his game. And I do think he figured something out at the big league level this year. But if Duran could get uh, a young, controllable pitcher, a two or a three, because you're giving a team a a starting center fielder who has proven he can hit 300 or better at the big league level, I think you could get something for Jaron Duran. And I think that's at least a conversation, whether it's Bloom or whoever comes in, should absolutely consider because you have a log jam in the outfield. Rafaela is going to potentially provide a lot of things that Jaron Duran can do. He's very fast. Um, he's got He's a better defender, so... I just think all options should be on the table with the entire outfield minus Yoshida because I don't think you're moving him. But the other guys, the, the the tricky part is going to be picking the right guy to potentially move because if you move a guy like Abreu and you keep the others and Abreu goes on to be a 25 to 30 homer guy, you don't know what he could be, but if he ends up becoming that, you're going to look really dumb. And you don't you want to avoid that. You want to make the right decision. But when you're picking between four or five guys, that's that's tough to make sure you hit on that one. They are absolutely going to have to make a decision uh, with the outfield going into next season because, yeah, it, Abreu looks like he can be a major leaguer. That he can be a real good, solid major leaguer at this level. Um, it's a small sample size, but you look at his numbers in the minors. I mean. You know, 270 hitter with power who draws a ton of walks. That's a pretty good profile to have. Defensively, I don't know what he is. He looks okay, but he doesn't look like he's anything special out there. Um, Sedan Rafaela is knocking on the door. So he's going to be up sooner rather than later uh, playing in the outfield somewhere. So 
it's going to be tough. They're going to have to make some decision there. I still think Verdugo is going to find himself being the odd man out. I think he's probably hit his ceiling for the most part. Maybe there's a little bit of room there, but I think Verdugo, this is what he is as a big leaguer. I don't think that there's anything hidden there that we haven't seen yet. With Duran, with Rafaela, with Abreu, there's still more to be seen. Um, and I think with Yoshida too, because I think – um, Yoshida, what you're seeing this year is that it's his first year in, you know, the U S and, you know, American baseball is a very different schedule than Japanese baseball. We play more games, less days off. So I think you're seeing, he's still kind of getting used to that, which is why he's, I think, tailed off a little bit in the second half, but we know that he's got the natural ability. So if he gets used to that, there may be an even better of, better version of Masataki Yoshida still to come, you know, in the next couple of years. So to me, Verdugo is going to find himself being the odd man out. And this latest surge from, from Abreu again, it was only a couple of games, but he does look extremely comfortable up there. Um, he just looks like he's ready. He, he's ready for the big leagues. And I'm glad that Cora isn't shy about playing him because one thing I was worried about when he got called up is okay. Yeah. He's there. He's on the bench, but watch Cora start ref Snyder for three games instead of Abreu because, well, I don't trust the young kid yet. Nope. Cora put him right in there. He delivered. He was impactful. So keep him in there, you know, keep him in there unless he really needs a day off or you really don't like the matchup because you could have something special on your hands. And um, that Christian Vasquez trade is looking better and better by the day because you got Abreu from that. You got Emmanuel Valdez from that. Valdez, I'm not sure if he's an everyday big leaguer, but he's got some raw ability, especially with the bat. You could always package him in something if you don't believe in him as your future everyday second baseman. That's fine. We talk about this all the time. Not all prospects are going to play for you every day. So, you know, uh, Valdez might be the guy that you package along with Verdugo in a trade this offseason for a young, controllable starting pitcher to beef up your starting rotation. That could be the calculus there. Either way, he has value. So that that Vasquez trade is just looking so good. And it's kind of poetic that Abreu uh, has his sort of breakout moment against the team that traded him away. So good for him. And, and again, I just hope Cora keeps playing him because I want to see more. I don't mean to be a pain with my hand motions. Uh, so um, one disturbing stat on Masataki Yoshida. And before I give it, I'm still, I know I had a tweet yesterday that was kind of hot and sizzly, but uh, I'm still, you know, an optimist with Yoshida long-term. But disturbingly, how many walks do you think he's drawn since May 31st? Long time ago. That was two lifetimes ago if you're talking the 2023 Red Sox. I would guess less than 10. It's exactly 10. <laughs> that's, that's, it. that's crazy because he was known known for that. And he was doing a lot of that in the month of April. April 1st until April 31st. Uh, no, excuse me. April 1st until May 31st. He walked 20 times. Tons. So, and the thing that kind of, and I, I'll give the guy credit. Um, I pulled this off of Twitter and it's uh, at Casas Goat. Big Tristan Casas guy, but he's got a very good, um, you know, Twitter account overall, though. Um, but anyway, he he was the one who put that out there. Um, but on the last show, uh, it might have been the weekend, uh, the early week rotation. I was looking at his war, and I'm like, wow, he's only a 1.3 war. It sounds like it should be way higher, at least in the twos. Uh, Alex Verdugo has a three war comparatively, so you would think Yoshida would be close. Only a 1.3, and defense probably factors into that. But, um, but yeah, but then when you look into it, like his numbers are slipping, and, and it's still going to be a good year when all is said and done. But is he going to blow the rookie of the year? He might blow it. He might. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we saw, we saw JP France do the same thing. Now it only took him one game to do it. But yeah, I just don't think Yoshida is having the impact hits and, and, you know, the big dynamic hits and, and series that he needs to really wrap up that award. Again, the end of the year numbers will look pretty solid, but is it like rookie of the year, like blow you away kind of numbers? I don't think so. 
So it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I, I don't know who's admittedly, I don't know who would really take it from him at this point. Micah, you probably have a better idea of that than I do. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty much locked up. I think it's Gunnar ha- Gunnar Henderson from oh, Baltimore. Yeah, um, I think it's his. I think unless he has a brutal five weeks, I like Casas. I think honestly is going to finish second in the race if he fin- has a good five weeks. I think it's going to be Henderson, Casas, and then uh, Yoshida number three. And keep in mind, Henderson will be playing postseason baseball. Yoshida might not be so. That will absolutely factor in as well. So, yeah, he, he might be uh, – that rookie of the year is rapidly slipping away from him for sure. Um, so with that, we will go to number one on the list. Guy had a monster series. Micah, who's number one? This one was pretty easy. It was Adam Duvall, and this was the series that I feel like Red Sox fans have really been waiting because he has this ability. And it's not just what we saw in the first 10 games of the season when he looked like Babe Ruth. But if you've watched Adam Duvall at any point over the last couple of years, especially when he was on the last two months of the Brave World Series team, he had series. He had one at Fenway Park when he was with the Braves where he just carried that offense and he can do that. He was nine for 16 with three home runs, eight RBIs. Might have had the biggest hit of the Red Sox season when he had the go-ahead three-run home run in the 10th inning on Wednesday, which ended up being the the winning hit. But especially in a series when Devers looked completely lost at the plate, he was pressing so hard. For whatever reason, Houston has the book on Devers, and I think it's in his head now, but... When you when your big hitter is is struggling for to get the performance they got out of Duvall, that's just huge. And we know Duvall is very much hit or miss. And I don't think anyone expects really Duvall now to get crazy hot to end the year. Like I think this is who he is. He could have some good series. He's going to have some bad. You're going to have high strikeout numbers. But if he can provide the power for the final final five weeks of the season. I'm very intrigued by having him in the offense, especially in the middle of the order. And this is a guy who broke his wrist, um, actually the same wrist he broke twice in the last, what was it, the last calendar year or something like that, pretty close. So if you've ever come back from a broken wrist, um, I have, it does take time to get your full strength back. And maybe we finally are seeing a guy who feels completely healthy and he feels like he has the bat speed needed to catch up to some of these fastballs. Maybe it was just a, a really hot series, and we, he goes back to being the Duvall that we saw for the last couple weeks. But it was a big series nonetheless, and if they can at least get the power for the final five weeks, I really like Duvall in this lineup. Terry. So his home run there, like Micah said, one of the biggest of the season. I think the Orioles won, though, in the first series was big as well because that was a very emotional series, and we were almost down two to nothing. And um, he bailed out Chris Sale as well in that game. Chris Sale had one of his worst starts of the year, probably his worst start. And um, there were two outs in the inning. And he fouls the ball off his foot and it looked bad. Like it took a long time. And I was thinking, okay, he might come out of the game. It's just, that's, that's how bad it looked. And the trainers were out. Core was out. And, um, so they kind of, you know, he finally decided, okay, I can come back into the game. And, the one moment, and this is probably a huge reach, but for some reason it, it popped into my head. Remember when Paul Pierce left the game in a wheelchair? The, <laughs> I, I'm thinking, man, this is like almost that type of theatrics in a way. And he crushes it into the Crawford boxes. And, you know, it was kind of a cheap home run. I think at Fenway it would have been off the monster. But, um, but still, I mean, it, just a he just ripped it and gave you three, a three run cushion in extra innings. And 
Winkowski did all he could do to nearly blow it there. I think the bases were loaded, um, and he did give up one. Uh, well, actually, that run was probably the ghost runner, so it didn't count. But anyway, it was just it was a big series for Duvall, and um, he's really put together a, a good last few weeks. I mean, the dude's been a strikeout machine, and he did strike out four times, but, I mean, that's not terrible because some of those uh, – you know, some of those games were, um, you know, extended because, you know, there was so much offense. They went through the order in extra time. I'm just trying to pull up his Yankees numbers here. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, he, yeah, he played two games. So he only struck out one time uh, in 10 games against – in 10 at-bats against the Yankees. So you're really starting to see some good plate appearances. I'm just going back one more to the Nat series uh, let's see. Eh, he was one for 10, three strikeouts. But still, uh, he, earlier when he came back from his wrist problem, you were seeing two and three strikeout games. And I think he did have a golden sombrero somewhere in there, and maybe even two, actually. He just didn't look good. And it's taken him a while, and it, it's taken Trevor Story a while as well. I think Story finally got his first run batted in uh, he didn't have a great series but uh he did get his first uh rbi yeah story by the way struck out three times in game one three times in in game three so strikeout's been a problem with him um but yeah but anyway duvall it was a good series and um off the charts and if we're going to be that team of destiny that the Bluminati still is clutching to, um, you know, Adam Duvall, you know, will have to play a role in that. Yeah. This was a guy I didn't mind after the deadline that he was still here. Um, I don't think he would have gotten much in return anyway, given just the limited amount of time he had played, you know, by that point. Um, he's a good veteran, right-handed power hitter. That's a, valuable thing to have down the stretch if you are going to go for the wild card because apart from him, it's Justin Turner. And Justin Turner at 38 years old with a bad heel can't carry that burden all by himself. So it's good that Adam Duvall is heating up at the right time. Um, he's still Adam Duvall, though. He will still strike out a lot. That's that's just always going to be part of his game. But he will have these series where he just dominates and pitchers don't want to face him. Um, everything about this series from – Game one where Kevin Millar legitimately called his home run, which was one of the better moments of the season. Um, I'm not the biggest Millar fan, as people know, but that was that was really cool. It's a shame they lost that game because that was a really cool moment. Um, and yeah, and then obviously, you know, game three, uh, that huge go-ahead home run, one of the his best of the season, one of his best moments in a Red Sox uniform. So um Hopefully he keeps it up. Hopefully that wrist is nice and healthy now and he's he's got that power swing back because you're going to need an impact hitter in the middle of that order that isn't named Justin Turner. Um, Raphael Devers, he's kind of been up and down lately. The defense has been really bad and at the plate he looks lost at times. So you need those veteran guys like Turner and Duvall to pick him up and, and produce around him so that you know it's not just Raphael having to do everything. Um, so an awesome series for Duvall. And again, with, with, you know, the influx of outfielders they have, I mean, Duvall most likely will not be on this team next year. That just, that's pretty much a given he's, you know, he's going to move on somewhere else. There's really not room for him, but if he has a monster second half, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to really part ways with him. They're going to have to, it just, they won't have room, but he's setting himself up to, probably get another nice one-year deal somewhere down the road. So he has motivation, you know, even if the team misses out on the playoffs, he's got his own personal motivation to go for. Um, and if that's, if that's what's leading the charge here and that's what's getting him going, by all means, go for it. You know, <laughs> go, go chase that next contract because uh, we need him hitting home runs and producing as much as uh, is humanly possible for him, you know, this next month. So awesome series for him. And Again, just got to keep it going because it, it can't just be one or two guys in this lineup. It's they, They've all got to start producing. 
Super quick. Last 15 games, he's hitting 340 with a 400 on base, 720 slugging. So by his standards, off the charts. And only 11 strikeouts in 50 at-bats. That's what I was looking for a minute ago. So just about a a 20% strikeout rate, which is probably right around league average, maybe even a little bit below league average. So you'll take that all day long with a guy like Adam Duvall. Yeah, absolutely. Micah. And imagine if he didn't have that one for 10 series in Washington, what his numbers would be. I mean, he'd be hitting 420, 430, 440, something around there. Like that Washington series really brought that average down. So I didn't realize he was on that quite of a hot streak. Um, but that's a really solid 15 games. I just want this offense to like get five, six, seven players cooking at one time. I feel like we have not seen that for quite some time. I wanted to see multiple guys cooking and I don't know if we ever will, but man, it's a dream. <laughs> yeah, totally. Real quick. So you met, you talked about the Millar you know, prophecy, you know, within that at bat and Duvall ends up hitting the home run. I was thinking just prior to that, I thought Casas was going to be that guy. I'm like, he's the one that's due. And that seems like a ballpark that, that Casas could, could do that. But Millar was, his instincts were better and uh, ended up being Duvall. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad he was right again. So it's a shame they lost that game, but yeah. What a moment and a nice job from Millar on that one. So with that, we will wrap it up here. Um, we'll have our Bastards series prediction show for your PM commute uh, today. Uh, we'll be previewing the Dodgers series and giving our predictions on that. And then Friday, we'll be releasing our Bastards roundtable episode, talking about the unfortunate news surrounding Shohei Otani and all the ramifications that go with it. So lot to unpack there. Uh, so keep an eye out for those, and we will see you guys later. Take care.